big layoffs at Hallmark, and Quentin Lucas looks forward to 2020. It's the first deep background podcast for the new decade, and we're so thankful you could join us. Stay with us. Welcome. You're on Deep Background for January 8th, 8th, 2020. My, how the mind flies when the year turns. I'm Dave Helling with the Stars Editorial Board. You may detect that you are not hearing the typical uh, tones from my voice because the uh, sinuses are still a little clogged up, so I apologize for that. But we thank you, of course, for joining us to talk about a couple of topics. We're going to talk about the layoffs at Hallmark here in just a minute. But first, our good friend Allie Kite joins us uh, from the City Hall Bureau for the Star uh, uh, to talk about uh, Quentin Lucas in the coming year. And, of course, my friend and colleague and co-host. Derek Donovan is with us. So thanks, Allie, for coming in. Well, you had what we call a year-ender in the business uh, with the mayor, and he, he did seem to be sort of doing some things at the end of 2019 to summarize his first five months in office and then point into 2020. What did you take from that conversation? What is he going to be focusing on, and how does he feel going into his first full year as mayor? Yeah, I think... Um First of all, the, the action that we saw from the mayor and the city council in the first few months of his term from August until December could kind of be broken down into three categories. I think there were several high-profile development projects that came through, um, but you also did see quite a bit of focus on violent crime, specifically on finding ways to get guns out of the hands of minors and domestic abusers. Um, and then as well, um, you saw some efforts around um, quality of housing in the Tenants' Bill of Rights. So I think that you will see more of all of those things in the new year. I think um, you'll see him continue to try to deliver on his campaign promise of you know, better basic services, more affordable housing, a safer city. I think that'll definitely be his yeah, focus. Yeah. Let's talk about violent crime a little bit. On Tuesday, the mayor announced a lawsuit mm-hmm. uh, against some private gun uh, companies mm-hmm. for allegedly providing guns to a former firefighter who who uh, uh, got in trouble with the federal government for his uh, possession of so many weapons and sale of weapons. Um, that's part of this strategy too, isn't it? And and the mayor's, it's very clear he's kind of set up a pretty difficult target. He's talked about getting murders under 100, which he thinks is a goal. Maybe that might slip a little bit in 2020. I don't know. But that seems to be like the first thing he's going to be thinking about for most of the year. Yeah, I mean, this is the, I mean, city council has not yet started right. for the year again, so this is the first thing that the city is is really doing in 2020. Um, but yeah, the, the lawsuit that you describe is incredibly um, unique. The city is working with Everytown Law, which is a branch of Everytown for gun safety, um, and their attorney that is working with the city told me that this is, you know, the first lawsuit of this nature in more than a decade. Basically, the city is taking on the entire ring of people who aided the firefighter James Samuels' gun trafficking ring. Yeah. 
Um, you know, it is interesting, isn't it, Derek, that he has picked this not only as an issue, because every mayor does, but he seems to be proactive in a way that maybe we haven't seen in a while. Uh, yeah, and I'm curious if, about your impressions on this, Allison. He really seems to have hit the ground running in a lot of ways, and I think part of that is that this you know, is running like crazy, <laughs> and, <laughs> which you know, is another subject, and, obviously. And there's been discussion about whether he's bitten off more than he can chew, but also he's going straight from the council to to the mayor's office, you know, and he's got existing relationships with about half the council having served with them before. So do you think that there is an impression on the council that he needs to kind of focus a little bit more or um, do, do you think that there's faith behind you know what he's doing? Um, I think you still have a lot of faith from council members in what the mayor is doing. I think, you know, you'll hear comments about, oh, he needs to slow down or we need to talk about this thing. I need, (laughs) I need his attention on this thing or that thing. I think, um, nobody will, anybody will tell you that, you know, the 29th floor seems to be in an all out sprint all the time, um, covering quite a lot of ground on a lot of different issues, but I don't think that that's necessarily wearing on the council too heavily at this point. And gun violence has obviously been something that all of them have talked about. You know, and some of them, some of the incoming ones, Brandon in particular, sort of made that a part of their campaigns. Absolutely. And um, I talked to Councilman Eric Bunch from the 4th District for my year ender. Um, <laughs> and, you know, he mentioned being really impressed by um, the mayor's efforts on several different ordinances last year to get guns, as I said, out of the hands of minors and domestic abusers. Um, I think that the council's really appreciated that previous effort. I haven't talked to any of them yet about the lawsuit. Uh, we're recording this on Tuesday, <laughs> moments after I filed my story. So, um, But I'm, I'm sure they'll all have thoughts about that as well, well. But let me ask you a broader question, Allie, which I think is uh, you know, sort of embedded in every year-ender story, which is, all politicians have an agenda and they have a sort of the way, you know, they think the year will, will unfold, but events have a way of sort of interfering with that, right? I sure. mean, you had you had the departure of Troy Schulte, so now you have to find a new city manager. That would not have been necessarily on the agenda until Troy Schulte quit. And then we had this incident involving the death of a bicyclist, mm-hmm. um, uh, Pablo Sanders Jr., I think, uh, and and the outrage in the bicycling transit community, and then your story, your guy's story with Councilwoman Lore sort of pushing back on all of that. So at least at some level, the mayor now has to deal with a push for Bike Walk KC or Vision K- So And he could not have anticipated that either. So some of his success or failure in some ways is based on um, you know, a moving target in a way that maybe he or none of us would prefer, but he he has to deal with. It. Sure. I mean, sometimes I have plans to write one story yes. and then breaking news happens. So I yes. think that that's true in, you know, in our jobs and in politics that, you know, you have one plan for your year right. and then something, um, you know, like the bike lane issue comes up. Although I, I think that issue is already there. It was quieter for the Correct. moment until Mr. Sanders death. Um, but I think depending on how hard the bike 
um, the cycling community pushes on that issue, that might be something that the council does right. have to take up in the near term. And the, you know, the transportation issue is something that really I think has snowballed more than a lot of people realize. If you think about the, especially we're talking about the urban core, the transit picture in Kansas City over the past three or four years has seen some immense changes. We have a streetcar going in. We of course have the upcoming elimination of fares for the buses. We have the fact that scooters appeared literally overnight. And so these types of things are on people's minds. I think a lot more than they were just a few years ago. Do you sense, uh, uh, is there a sense of urgency about that on the council? Obviously, Eric Bunch, you know, co-founder of Bike Walk KC, now serving. Um, I think to some degree, obviously, Councilman Bunch, um, this is a, a big priority for him. Uh, you didn't see a lot of action on it last year. Um, I'm not sure how in, intense the pressure will be when they return later this week. Um but I, I think that you could see some some serious pressure on that front. And I ask that because, you know, I've had conversations about this. I, I'm really interested in transit myself. And there's some feeling on the previous transportation committee that it's best for City Hall to sort of step back and sort of let transit evolve the way that people want it. Um, and, you know, that, I know that that was Jermaine Reed's attitude about the scooters is that he had said he'd been in Shanghai, I think, and had seen these scooters several years ago and realized they were coming. And he thought, well, let's just see if Kansas City likes them or not. Mm -hmm. And I do think, especially the scooters, do add some urgency to the bike lane discussion because you've got a lot more people on non-cars. Right. And they're not supposed to be on the sidewalks. On city streets. They're not supposed to be on sidewalks. You see them on sidewalks quite a bit. But you also see people riding them in the bike lanes quite a bit. So you've got more vehicles using that infrastructure than you did previously. Did the mayor talk at all about money? Because he's got some pretty important, interesting money challenges down the mm -hmm. pike, right? I mean, you just mentioned free buses. They've got to pay for that somehow. And $8 million is $8 million. He has not fully funded his housing trust fund, which I think is a marker for some people. He's already committed uh, sort of uh, broadly to more police officers, however that shakes out. And I think he told us, didn't he, Derek, I don't know, 25, 30 officers. I mean, that's so that's millions. I mean, uh, you, you can write a lot of checks as a candidate and as a mayor, but the bill will come due in the next couple of weeks, right, when the budget starts coming out, right. particularly since Troy Schulte is gone. And so now you have sort of an interim city manager and the process is going to be a little weird. That's going to be a challenge too. Absolutely. I will say you do have the same budget director. So there is some, some, there is continuity right. from the budget on that level. Um, but yeah, you've got free buses to the tune of 8 million that they want to see in the budget, more police officers. Um, the mayor told me he'd like to, you know, kind of hold the line on general services, not see any cuts to things like trash, Right. Code well, code enforcement isn't housing. But right, anyway, right. general services and then see more um, spending in housing. So th that's a big check. Particularly um, since he said we are not increasing taxes. We're not going to voters. We're not mm -hmm. trying to roll up the, the revenue side at all. So, I mean... I've got budget day on my work calendar, so we'll, <laughs> we'll see what we get. But I mean, get, isn't that, again, that sort of goes with my theme, which is... You know, politicians and mayors particularly can have a great set of, you know, mm -hmm. uh, list of things to do, but reality, you know, intrudes, and it seems like budget will be one of those places, not to mention the Bike Walk KC people who are going to say, well, wait, we need, you know, we're not going to get $400 million for our deal, but how about 20 how about 25 or some amount that 
seems to suggest the city is moving in that direction, and it adds up. It adds mm-hmm. up quickly. And one of the praises that you always heard about Troy Schulte was his ability to kind of find money in the couch cushions. Um, so you do have the same budget director that worked under uh, Troy Schulte for several years, Scott Hughes and Gay, who worked in the budget office right. with Troy Schulte. But you don't have Troy Schulte, so it'll be interesting to see if there is a difference there. Right. A- and the interesting part of that will develop pretty quickly. I mean, the budget comes out in February, or mm-hmm. at least the initial part of it. And then, you know, as other members of the council, they have pet projects and other things come up. It's uh, And, of course, the mayor does have some veto uh, power and budget-related power. So, um, again, it's going to be an interesting thing to see how his focus shifts to adjust to to those realities. Anything else that he talked to you about you thought was particularly interesting or compelling? Um, let's see. Our photographer, Shelley, who was with me for the interview, asked the mayor what his New Year's resolution was, which is a question that I didn't think of. So right. thank you, Shelley. <laughs> and he said his resolution is to make Kansas City safer. Um, and so I think that that will be, you know, something that we can hold him to all year and see how he how he performs on that. Front. I think we would all agree, wouldn't we, Derek, that that is, should be the number one goal. I mean, that, you know, nothing else is even close to the safety problem in Kansas City. So, And I think that we tend to lose sight of what an outlier Kansas City is in public safety compared to other cities our size. Right, we become numb to it sometimes. All right, Allison Kite, thanks so much for coming in for thanks the first for edition of Deep Background for this 2020 year. And Derek, stay with us. We're going to come back and talk about the Hallmark layoffs with Kevin Hardy. You're on Deep Background. Hey there, this is Derek Donovan of the Kansas City Star Editorial Board, and we hope you're enjoying the podcast. If you like what you hear, help us support this podcast and the journalism that reporters at the Star do every day by subscribing. There's an easy way for you to do it. Head to kansascity.com slash background. You'll even get a special discount just for being a Deep Background listener. By subscribing at that URL, you will get three months of unlimited digital access to the star for $1.99 total. That's right, you get access to KansasCity.com, the e-edition of the newspaper, our mobile apps, and more for three whole months, and it only costs you $1.99. That's a pretty sweet deal. Plus, you will be supporting journalism that makes a difference in Kansas City. So, go grab your computer or mobile device and head to KansasCity.com slash background. And hey, thanks for listening. Okay, joining us now to talk about a big business story this week is our friend Kevin Hardy of The Star. Kevin, thanks for being here. Well, a big announcement from uh, from Hallmark uh, this week. Um, you know, if you... If you wanted to pick uh, an iconic Kansas City company, Hallmark would be in the top three, I think. And yet it, there is evidence that it is not what it once was. Yeah, I think um, you saw the announcement of, you know, they're going to cut 400 jobs this year through sort of a combination of layoffs and buyouts and whatnot. But it is at the very least evidence that things are changing over there. And it, it really shouldn't come as a surprise to us because everything in retail is changing dramatically and um, whether it's big box retail or mom and pop retail stores um, that whole market has been upended and of course Hallmark is affected. Yeah and everything involving print media is changing as we all know too well. Um, 
Is this part of a, do we have a sense as to whether this is part of some big strategy? I mean, I know in the announcement they said, hey, we need to turn the corner, but it seemed from what I read that they were a little vague about what that would mean. Right. I mean, you hear words like transformation and change, and that's those are words that executives at just about every company will will spit out. Um, but I think it, it is evidence that, the, that their business is changing rapidly and they are seeking to respond in some way. Um, but they are a private company, so it's hard for us to know, you know, if their revenues are down or their profits right. are up. We don't really have an indication other than what they tell us. But um, another important thing to note is that they have new leadership there. This is not in the Hall fam. It's not a Hall family. Uh, sorry, the, the CEO's last name is not Hall for the first time <laughs> right. in a long time. Right. Um, and he, Mike Perry was just appointed in the summer, so it seems like maybe there is a new strategy or there is at least some change of foot yeah. under his leadership. You know, Der- Derek, you'll remember this. There was a time when guys like Irv Hockaday and Don Hall and other uh, uh, civic leaders associated with Hallmark were really considered huge players in Kansas City public life and government and, and, and that type of thing. But it does seem as if Hallmark's profile on those types of things has diminished over the years. Do you, do you think that's right? Uh, yeah, I think you certainly don't see as many of those people making public-facing statements the way that they used to. And, I've, of course, we do have the big philanthropists in town who are responsible right. for so many things. And, of course, there is still a Hall in, in charge of the foundation. Um, Bill Hall is in charge of the foundation, but he is actually not a hall. Not a hall. <laughs> not a hall. Not <laughs> the hall that we think. Yeah. And he's actually retiring. So we're going to see some change at the foundation as well. But yeah. that foundation is still very active in town. And you still have Crown Center, which is an enormously important part of the Kansas City eco, economic ecosystem. And so they haven't certainly vanished, have they, Kevin? But no. you don't get the sense. And really what I want to talk to you about is, I was talking to one of your colleagues yesterday, one of our colleagues. Kansas City, for whatever reason, seems to lack that sort of big public corporate presence. You know, a huge. Now we do have Cerner, we do have Garmin, but you know, Kansas City, unlike Minneapolis or other cities, is not really overstocked, is it, with these public, well-known companies like 3M, for example, or something like that. Sure. No, I think. I mean, you might be right, but if we are going to pick who that pool of companies is in Kansas City, Hallmark is among, I mean, right. we've got Hallmark, H&R Block, Cerner, Sprint, but all of those companies are facing their own Well, right. I mean, that's times. what's interesting, isn't it? Sprint is in trouble. You know, Hallmark is whatever is, you know, struggling or however you want to define Transforming it. Transforming, at least. Transforming. Um, Garmin has had to change its approach over the years. Cerner has been up and down, although mostly up. All of those, and maybe that's really the story here, which is the reality of pressure on all companies to perform and be transformative mm-hmm. at all times is very difficult to meet all the time. Yeah, I think, I mean, this isn't a life insurance business where sort of status quo can might get you by for the long term. And right. I think if nothing else, it's evidence that these companies feel um, that the pace of change is really faster than ever before. They have to respond to the marketplace. And I think, especially in retail, um, consumers can sort of change what they do or do not like overnight. In a company like Hallmark, that makes it really hard to, to find a, a winning strategy. Does Kansas City lack a quality or qualities, Kevin, that is attractive to Fortune 500 companies? I mean, is there something we could do or not do? And sort of the broader question then is, is it important that we do something to get Fortune 500 companies. You can hear people argue that 
we're not as quite as subject to downturns in the economy because you don't have huge employers like a Boeing in Wichita, for example, or or some other community which relies yeah. on one business or two. Yeah, I think that that's a good question, but in that it is a sort of pros and cons response. Um, I am hearing the sort of startup and small business advocates in the back of my head saying this is exactly why a robust economy for those players is more important because they're not subject to the corporate whims of whatever corporation X and how they're responding to the latest quarterly results. So there is an argument to be made that maybe smaller, diversified economy is actually stronger for the long run, but um, certainly everyone that sits at the Chamber of Commerce or any other civic group wants to have those big Fortune 500 companies based here. All right, and so then what's the strategy for doing that? I mean, we've been made the big throw for the Amazon headquarters, and of course, it didn't even make the final cut, but is it a matter of being more hip, more attractive, more more mass transity? More, I mean, what is it that we lack uh, that maybe we could... I don't don't know that I can say what we lack, but I know that those companies, when they choose where they're going to be, they're increasingly talking about quality of life. They're talking about mass transit. They're talking about green infrastructure. So I know those things do come into play. I don't know that that's the answer, what's going on here as it relates to some of our corporations. Um, Things like airports and direct flights, those things are important to corporations. Right. Um, But I I don't know. That's a good question. And corporate headquarters, Derek, don't move that often anymore. I mean, there was a time when there was, you know, Boeing moved from Seattle to Chicago. I mean, there were huge battles. It seems like there's less of that now. Yeah, probably. Lucky for Boulevard, you can't digitize beer and upload it to the internet. (laughs) So they're probably going to be here for a while. Yeah. Boulevard isn't a good example, but Sprint is a good example of what I just asked Absolutely. Kevin about, which is this idea that you invest so much in Sprint, and Sprint is the future, and this is our hometown long-distance company, at a time, by the way, when when phone service clearly is exploding, and yet, for whatever business reason, they're shrinking and may soon be gone as a separate entity. It's not so long ago that they were the biggest local employer by a right. long shot. And, but, you and, know, just and the future, rabbit. right, Derek? Absolutely. I mean, that's the whole idea that, boy, if we could all have, you know, be filled with with sprints, we'd be in great shape. And so the future has a funny way of, you know, raising its head and, and slapping cities down. And Sprint is a really good example of that dynamic. Um, the really smart economist at the Mid-America Regional Council will tell you that for years, Sprint disproportionately affected the fate of the Kansas City economy, that if they were doing well, the Kansas City economy was doing really well. And if the opposite was true, the opposite was felt all across the metro. And as they have declined their employment over the years, they are having less of an impact on the economy, which is probably not a good thing if you're a Sprint employee, but if you're um, you know, looking at a diversified economy that may be a net positive for the city that we're not going right. to be weighted down or so tight. And certainly a cautionary tale, right? That if you go out, because Sprint's headquarters was built with rather aggressive incentives and other things. And I remember doing a stand-up out there on television when it was a vacant lot saying this is where Sprint's going to go and they're going to consolidate all their offices and they're moving off of the parkway and some other things. And no one at that point was ready to say, but maybe 10 years from now, we won't need all this space. We So things change so dramatically in the business environment, and maybe that's one lesson from Hallmark, too. And also, don't you think uh, that 
the, the fact that Hallmark has such a brick and mortar business, and you know they produce products that are are things that people are always going to you know buy greeting cards and and stationery and gift wrap and that sort of thing. You know their, their products are certainly rooted in another era, but they, they still there's demand for that kind of thing going forward. Right. I mean, and this is a product. These are products that are in Walmart and Target. These are very right. readily available products that Hallmark, you know, arguably is probably reaching more people through those means than they ever did through the, the retail stores branded as Hallmark. Um, but the other interesting thing at Hallmark is just how much they've diversified that Crayola is a really big part of their business now. And that's a whole other sort of, that's not the same as greeting cards. It's kids, that's arts and crafts. And then you can't um, talk about Hallmark and not talk about the Hallmark channel because that's a hugely profitable part of their business. Um, And they were smart 10 years ago to realize there was a place to make a buck or two. Right. And they've also made that transition to where they're not just relying on the cable providers. They're doing their own paid streaming service. And that's been popular from what I'm understanding or been told from the company. But that just shows, again, just how much they've been able to pivot. Right. Although the video uh, stuff from Hallmark is not Kansas City based in any meaningful way. Right. I mean, it's uh, right. That's all done in California. California and other places. Uh, But. You know, there. Who knows how that's helping the sort of corporate office here stay yeah, afloat? No question about it. And they've got they've still got a global footprint too. I mean, people know what Hallmark is in Japan. You know, it's, it's, right? The brand remains enormously powerful. At one time, it was one of the top ten in the world. Yeah, right, right. So the question is how you keep that brand and yet diversify sure. and transform. And some perspective on. I mean, cutting four hundred jobs is a big number for any company, but this is a company that says it has thirty thousand employees across the world, 2,000 stores in the United States, 3,400 employees in Kansas City. So this is not a company that is, uh, you know, down to the skeletons. Correct. Although most of those jobs are coming from Kansas City, correct? Most of the jobs are So that's about a, it sounds like about a 10% cut in the local workforce. Not that it's not impactful, but that, you know, just the larger picture. But not in the larger picture. Kevin Hardy with the Star, thanks so much for coming in and talking to us as we start 2020 about this important story. And uh, uh, Derek Donovan, my colleague, thanks for joining us as always. Again, my apologies for being just a little bit under the weather and a tad bit more nasal than I'd like (laughs) to be. But uh, we thank you for joining us on this first edition for 2020 of Deep Background.